Professor of Alpine Tuna Bass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance on a Monday. It's his weekly Monday appearance, and he has made it, in this case, on a Monday. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest on this edition of the program. This edition of the program, this edition of the program, as he does every week. What Dave Cameron does here is to analyze all baseball of particular note this week. A return to February, during which month Dave Cameron and I uh, played on the podcast, played the over-under game featuring Dave Cameron. Listeners are no doubt familiar with the concept of overs and unders. Here's how it manifested itself for the purposes of this game. What would happen is contestant A would introduce a specific metric for 2017. Then contestant A would also propose a precise figure for that metric, and then contestant B would choose the over or under. So, for example, uh, in this edition of the game, we find that Cameron proposes a wager concerning Adam Eaton's UZR in center field for the Nats in 2017. He would set the over-under. In this case, he set it at plus eight runs. And then uh, I, the host, Carson Zestouli, uh would choose uh, either the over or the under. In this case, I chose the under. And then the bet was made, and is a bet that I won. Uh, we we uh, we returned to all ten of the wagers that uh, were proposed by us, five each. Uh, c- uh, wagers concerning, for example, uh, the number of games entered by Andrew Miller in the seventh inning or earlier. The over under was set at twenty two. Who said it? Who chose the o- who chose the over? Which was the answer? Uh, another one. Uh, Brian Dozier's WAR, his wins above replacement, minus Logan Forsythe's WAR. Of course, both players. Uh, were being considered, it seemed, by the uh, by the Los Angeles Dodgers. Aaron Nola's curveball rate, Milwaukee's base runs, etc., etc. All of the results are in what follows. Also, at the very end, maybe a, some cursory discussion of Doug Fister, but mostly a return to the over-under game to see who is the smartest at baseball. This edition of Fangraph Study also sees Dave Cameron enumerating one of the virtues, one of the many virtues of Fangraph Audio. Well, you do, you do lull me to sleep sometimes get to that conversation with Dave Cameron in a moment. But first, it is both my pleasure and also my obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. For a reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the excellent work that appears at that site. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, readers, those same readers, those same enlightened readers can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, uh, allowing one both uh, to use, to, to, to embrace, to find, to to acquire faster loading speeds and then also to uh, to escape the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs ad-free membership and regular membership and ad-free membership available at Fangraphs.com by going there and then clicking around a little. Okay, uh, that is, uh, the introduction is almost complete, so let us get now to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. begin um, when, when you when you're appearing on finger study I'll frequently begin the program by um, uh, by invoking a concept or a uh, an anecdote from real life and then asking what in baseball is like that I am aware of this yeah I have no intention of doing it today because I'm so uh, excited about the <laughs> about the task ahead Cameron and I'd like to get to it Okay. Um, I don't. I really don't know how long this will take. It could really just be five minutes, 
But I assume <clears throat> if it uh, only takes five minutes, are we just done with the podcast? And yes. I can go on with my day. Yeah, you you can go do whatever okay, cool. you need to I'm do. I'm gonna speed through this then. You uh, you um, you will remember back in what well, you may not know that it was February 15th, but on February 15th, you and I played. Uh, I guess what was the inaugural edition? No, no. Well, I did something like this with Eric Long getting it too. Anyway, we played an edition of the over under, the over under game, um, in which. Here's how we play. Uh, we are the two contestants. One contestant uh, proposes a, uh, a, a uh, introduces a specific metric for 2017. Uh, for example, uh, Adam Eaton's UZR in center field for the Nationals. That same contestant proposes a, a precise figure for that metric. I think you – and this was actually a real one. You said plus eight runs. And then contestant – the other contestant chooses the over or the under. It's pretty simple, right? Yeah, yeah, we did that back in, and you know, you remember doing that. Uh, but what we get to do today is because the baseball season is over, so we can see who has won. Dave Cameron, I'm really surprised this didn't catch on. It's like you know, remember when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire like swept the nation? This mm-hmm. uh, the over under game. Like we should have been on TV. This should have been like a nightly. We could have a, like the results show hosted by Ryan Seacrest. Uh, yeah, but well, you know, humble beginnings. Cameron, yeah. okay. <laughs> but uh, I mean, this might um, maybe the thirty fifth annual uh, over under show will be hosted by Ryan Seacrest. He'll be like mm-hmm. eighty at that point, but he will be he'll probably look the same from yeah, what probably. I what I what I've seen. He he has not changed in my lifetime. Um, but uh, now, do you, before we begin, Dave Cameron, do you have any sense of uh, what your performance? Maybe do you have any guess guesses? I mean. The fact that you wanted to review this makes me think that I did. Does my enthusiasm? Yeah, <laughs> like the fact that you were like, "Let's do this," thanks for you probably crushed me. Well, I like um, I like winning. I like winning and losing. I like losing. I, I do like losing, actually. Okay. I like. I think I like competing in a friendly. I mean, this is the best type of competition because it requires almost no effort. You know, that is your favorite kind of effort. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> the closer to zero. You can get that. It's a little bit like a, um, I don't know. It's a, well, like I think what zero Kelvin is it? Is it what officially impossible to reach? Right. Yeah. But um, but <laughs> that doesn't mean we can't try. <laughs> zero. This is the zero uh, expenditure of of effort. Um, but it's close. So we're gonna um, come up with zero Carsons. Yeah. That, right. That is the official. That's the, yeah. That's the official unit of of uh, unit of measure regarding effort. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know. Should it be? Would you do zero to one hundred, or would you do? Would you do thirty-two to two hundred twelve? <laughs> well, I don't think that's. <laughs> the, I think the the scale might actually make sense. Is like one Carson would be like the zero effort for some other human being. Okay. So, like I think you want the unit to be like, oh, I gave a Carson, being that. You oh, gave so it would no be effort. zero. Okay, all right. Yeah. All right. So I think one right. should actually be the baseline. Well, we'll we'll return to that. We'll return to that, but let us now uh, let us now consider the over under game. Would you like to um, here? I'll, well, I can start. You, I believe you have the the wagers in front of you. Is that true? Uh, you did send me the link. I did click on it, but I didn't read them. So okay, all right. Well, let's. But you, you probably have the wagers there in front of you. Yeah, yeah, they're here now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we could start. We could start. Uh, the first wager that I proposed uh, concerned at Andrew Miller. Of course, uh, back in February, we were wondering to what degree. Um, or I don't know if we were collectively wondering, <laughs> wondering, but there was some question as to what role relievers might play during the regular season of 2017 after uh, 
the, the somewhat aggressive usage of them, in particular by Cleveland, but uh, throughout the, the playoffs in 2016. Um, so I said, uh, I, the, the metric or the wager I proposed concerned games entered by Andrew Miller, Cleveland left-hander Andrew Miller in the seventh inning or earlier, and I, I set the over-under at 22, Cameron. Then yeah. you chose the you chose the under. And for a while, he was at twenty one when he was on the table list, right? Yes, right. And, and it yes, and that of course is the danger with a pitcher. Yeah, is that he can go on the disabled list. Right. And that was uh, something that I faced. But so I think yes, I think for some time um, he was on the disabled list. Uh, I, for example, between, um, well, I don't have the precise dates here, but I could tell you that uh, there was some time where he was not making appearances. Yeah, for like a month he was on the DL, and yeah. I think you you told me at that point that he had made 21 appearances in the seventh inning earlier, right before he went on the DL, which yeah. would have been like a, an amazing way for me to win this bet. Right, but uh, he returned, David yeah. Cameron. And I lost. Yes, he did. And do you know that he made, in fact, he made 28 appearances in the seventh inning earlier? Yeah, I think if I had, uh, if I could go back and do it, I would I would make you rephrase. Because uh, I think the way we were discussing it, the seventh inning is a little bit cheaty. Like the seventh inning is still like you can come in in the seventh and pitch the eighth and then hand the ball to Cody Allen. Uh huh. And I think the in the in the context of the discussion after last postseason, I was thinking of like how many times are we going to bring him in in the fourth or fifth inning? Like these very early appearances that he now. Had would you like me to rephrase it, Cameron, or would you like your this other version of yourself to to pay more attention to the to the bed. Well, you do to... you do lull me to sleep sometimes. I, think <laughs> I, did, I did not fully anticipate what you were actually saying at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So twenty eight though. Now and I don't know uh, what that would compare. That's that strikes me still as a high number. It's a lot. Uh, I mean, what relievers only pitch fifty five times a year, so that's half of his appearances. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so so here's the thing. Like, I mean, how would that compare to? I assume this is not something. It's still somewhat exceptional, right? In sort of the context of even recent history. Yeah, is that fair? I mean, is that fair to He's say? He's the best reliever to pitch that kind of in the seventh inning, uh, frequently yeah. in and, the last ten years or something. I mean, and that a lot of that is, of course. Had, has to do with the fact that he's just he's simply one of the best relievers. I mean, he might be the best reliever. Is that true? Is he really at that it's level? A, it's that him or Kenley Jansen right now, probably. I mean, you could make a case for either one of them, um, but I think it's one of those two. Mm-hmm. I mean, Craig Kimbrell's obviously really good, too. If you want to throw him in there, that's fine. Kimbrell's, I think Kimbrell's of some interest because he... Um, he had, uh, didn't he have a... Like, I mean, he never had like a... He's never fallen apart. But there have been a couple seasons when he wasn't as dominant. Right. His uh, his walks particularly went up the last couple right. of years. But then but then last year he was just like, you know what would fix my walk problem? Striking everybody out. Yeah. He struck out. He was uh, he must have been just for like what one or two batters shy of, of a, precisely a 50% strikeout rate. And he's he's actually done that before in, in a time when strikeouts were not as rampant as they are right, right now. Yeah. Craig Kimbrell is uh, pretty, pretty dominant. So he's really yeah. exceptional. Miller, yeah. Jansen, Kimbrell, pick one of those three. That's the best reliever in baseball. You know, and Kimbrell's not even – he's not even 30 yet. Or, or I mean, he, yeah, he's not even 30 yet. He'll be yeah. – next year's his age 30 season. I think he, he under the radar when people talk about, like, active Hall of Famers, uh, mm-hmm. Kimbrell, like, never gets brought up in these conversations. Unless he blows out his arm, like, next year, he's a lock. Like, this you is, think so? Oh, yeah. Craig Kimbrell has a Hall of Fame peak already, given that – Given the standards that have been established for relievers, he's already one of the best relievers we've ever seen. 
Will he be one of the sort of best last relievers not to work in a in more of a hybrid role? Oh no, there's always gonna be guys who have arm problems who can only pitch one at any time or you know, like just because Andrew Miller can do this doesn't mean every reliever can do this. Yeah. Um so I think we're always gonna have the guy who's just like a three outs and then I'm done guy. Because that's the only way really to keep him healthy and yeah. also to Yeah, I mean like I think um was it Brad Lidge for a while? Uh, was like one of the most dominant relievers in baseball, and people were like, "Let's move into the rotation." And they're like, "Do you do you want to really mess with this guy's elbow? It's you know duct taped together." Right. Um, there's always going to be guys like that where it's like you can get three outs out of him. Don't push it any more than that. Right. Um, so good season from Andrew Miller, and uh, and uh, good uh, good call by Carson Sestouli. Yeah. Yeah. Would good you like job, to introduce Carson. the second one? The second wager. The second wager, I think. I think you won this one too. What do you have there? Uh, the I was the person on this one, and I said Brian Dozier's WAR minus Logan Forsythe's WAR mm-hmm. because uh, those were the two second basemen the Dodgers were considering trading for. They did trade for Logan Forsythe. The Twins uh, were criticized, particularly by me, for not trading Brian Dozier to the Dodgers when they had the chance. I suggested they would regret that decision. Uh, you, I set the over under at half a win, and you mm-hmm. took the over. You thought Dozier would be more than half a win, better than Logan Forsythe, and you were correct about that. It was correct, and if, yeah, right, and that was Forsythe was the was ultimately Dodgers pick. Tell me about um, yeah, and I I don't want I don't want to just pass over the fact that I won the, that particular <laughs> wager, but <clears throat> tell me about Brian Dozier's 2017 season and whether or not it was a surprise. So he was actually, I think he started the year fairly poorly, and for like the first couple of months of the season, I think it was like, yep, the Twins might have missed the boat here. Like, uh, yeah, I'm looking at it. He put up a 79 WRC plus in April. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I do think. recall there was, uh, uh, yeah, the beginning of the season was difficult for him. At the All-Star break, he had a 95 WRC plus. So some of the skepticism about like Dozier's ability to sustain his, uh, elite performance, um, you know, looked legitimate at that point. And then he just went on a monumental tear along with the rest of the Twins in the second half of the season. He ended the year with a 125 WRC plus and 5 war, uh, and was one of the main reasons the Twins made the wild card game. Uh, Jose De Leon, the guy that I criticized him for not trading for, uh, had his arm hurt and pitched badly, uh, and has lost significant value in the last year. So now the Twins got a 5 win season, uh, a playoff berth and not a broken pitcher uh, for their decision to hold on to Brian Dozier. <laughs> Good job, Twins. Bad job, me. <laughs> you know, Brian Dozier has been quite good the last four years. Yeah, he's now got a five-win season if you round up on 2014, where you 4.7. Mm-hmm. Just round up. That's a five-win season, a three-win season, a six-win season, and a five-win season. Yeah, and that is not uh, – it's not what you would, I think, guess from uh, – given his pedigree. What, eighth-round pick out of uh, – I don't know what school, but Southern Mississippi. Yeah, especially because yeah. he got to the big leagues as a guy with no power, and now he's a 40-home-run second baseman. And in terms of what he's done for power, is it – I don't know. Is it essentially the same approach that everyone else has adopted? I mean, is that – uh, I mean, he's a little bit of a fly ball uppercut guy for sure, but he has the, you know, he's a launch angle guy probably. 
But he's also a extreme pull guy. Uh, I think what Dozier pulls the ball between 50-60% of the time and almost all of his, like, it is breaking news when he hits an opposite field home run. Um, and so he's maybe more of like the Jose Batista breakout where Batista did that when he got to Toronto and just was like, screw hitting the ball the other way. Mm-hmm. I'm selling out for pull power. And you, like, every time there's one of these guys who just tries to hit balls on the inner half down the left field line and hook it around the pole, you think, like, pitchers are going to adjust. They're just going to pitch him away. Like, they're, they're not going to throw fastballs inside anymore. Um, but it, as it turns out, like, Jose Benitez had a really good career doing this like, one exact thing, and Brian Dozier has not been figured out four years later. So I think it's actually really hard for pitchers to avoid pitching in to guys who just try and pull inside pitches. I would have guessed that – now, Dozier has recorded roughly a 20% strikeout rate over the last four years, and yeah. I would have guessed – I would have guessed it's higher, I guess, based off of right what you say about the results and also the approach, which is which is so pull heavy. But of course, um, two things. One is he didn't, he hardly. I mean, he had very low strikeout rates in the minors. Yeah. So this does, in some level, represent a um, you know some regression on his part. But he had he had room uh, to sort of absorb that regression. And secondly, that I mean, Batista. That was the same idea with him, too. He, he made quite a bit of contact uh, relative to his power numbers. Yeah, but it definitely seems like guys who have, I guess you would call it, like bat-to-ball skills, who can make contact but not necessarily hit it hard, there's some ability among, maybe not every player, but a decent amount of them, to adjust their contact frequency to significantly increase their power without losing all of their contact skills. And so, like, the power can increase faster than the contact can decrease, and they can become significantly better players overall. This is, you know, we can, there's, like, 50 guys we can name now, but this is the Jose Ramirez skill set, the Daniel Murphy skill set. Like, all of these guys are like, I can sacrifice just a little bit of my strikeout rate and, you know, triple my power. I should do that. Yeah. Okay, uh, wager number three, Dave Cameron, uh, that was proposed by me. Uh, it concerned Aaron Nola's curveball rate. And I think that we had recorded this uh, maybe just days after Travis Sochik had proposed. Uh, maybe it examined players who could who could benefit from what the sort of Rich, Rich, Hill, yeah. Rich Hill strategy. Yeah, just curveballs P- all the time. Right, pitchers who – I think he was looking maybe For pitchers who Rich had yeah. extraordinary secondary pitches um, and maybe – Somewhat pedestrian, not totally pedestrian fastballs. I think Nola throws harder than than Rich Hill, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. But I think his curveball is still his most important pitch. <clears throat> and so I think perhaps seduced by that article, Dave Cameron, I decided that I I would uh, um, that I would say yeah. I think um, I think Aaron Nola will embrace this. He will read Travis, Travis Sochik's piece. And uh, he'll abide by it. But actually, among I guess at least among qualified starters, qualified pitchers, only one pitcher hit, only one pitcher recorded a uh, curveball rate of thirty-seven point five or higher. No, no, no. Not Lance Berkman. Lance McCullers. Uh, not qualified. Um. Lance McCullers not qualified. I could set it at. I guess I could just do any starter. Thirty-seven point five percent recorded by Drew Pomeranz. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. But if we do like starters and set the threshold at roughly fifty percent, um, we get more than that. We get five, and one of them is Rich Hill. I'll say that right away. Yep. 
uh, the aforementioned Drew Pomeranz. Rich Hill recorded a 39.8% curveball rate, rounded to 40. Uh, And McCullers uh, was near 50%, um, 47%. There actually was one pitcher who worked as a starter who threw more than 47% curveballs. Honestly, I was not entirely aware that he played this year. Um, So that, that would give you an indication of of um, how how much of a uh, an impression he left? <laughs> yeah, I don't he know threw. Who it is. Did you have any guesses who it is? Um, uh, I don't know. No, I do not. Bronson Arroyo. Oh yeah, he did play this year. He did. He threw. He he recorded seventy one innings as a starter. Yeah. Um, which is more than I anticipate. And then the uh, the last player. I don't know if you would care to guess or not. Who to record more than fifty innings as a starter? And uh, this this player recorded exactly a forty percent curveball rate. Which uh, is for the Angels. The answer is Alex Meyer. Really, I would not have yeah. guessed that. Yeah, yeah, he's and he throws quite hard. You, you, yeah, you, he's you, also you, huge. He's a big guy. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Arroyo, McCullers, Meyer, Hill, Pomeranz, uh, but not. Uh, but not Aaron Nola, who recorded a, a rate around 30, 31%, something like that. Yeah. Um, I have to say, well, at, the, at the rate at which we're going through these, this will take significantly more than five minutes. Yeah, it's going to take more than five minutes, but a lot of the ones at the end are trash. They're trash wagers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, there's we're no need to... We're loading up up front. Yeah, there's no need to do... This is a, the opposite of a back... This is a front-loaded contract we have yeah, we're right gonna, here. Yeah, we're going to amortize this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, why was I why was I a dummy to think that Aaron Nola would throw so many curveballs? Well, his arm hurt last year, and he came to spring training like not 100 percent healthy. So thinking that a guy with like you know who finished last year um, with arm problems and uh, you know has at least had some um, suggestion that he might be in line for Tommy John surgery at some point, or he has some UCL issue. Um, Having him become a breaking ball monster was probably not in the cards. Right. Okay. Uh, do you think that curveball rates, according to Pitch Info numbers, Pitch Info is a um, sort of a combination of the Statcast numbers and then the what the uh, curated classifications um, um, created by um, uh, Harry Pavlidis at uh, Brooks Baseball. Harry Pavlidis and friends. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Am I saying uh, it right? That's yeah. I don't think he actually works for Brooks Baseball, but sure. Harry and his team are a group of consultants who uh, provide more correct pitch classifications than the MLBAM standard right. one. Right. There's sort of uh, some research to uh, um, what they use to. Um, they, they look at grips and this sort of thing, don't they? Yeah, and and just look at the movement, and um, they actually track what each pitcher throws. So, like, if there's a pitch that looks like a cutter, but they know that guy doesn't actually throw a cutter, they just assume it's a slider that didn't break or something. So, mm-hmm. it's a, so, just a, uh, a little more human input. Curveball rate um, increased by two points this year, um, relative to uh, relative to 2015, at least two points yeah. higher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's uh, significant or not. I thought that fastball, so four seam fastball rate has actually increased in that same time too. Uh, sinkers, though, and um, sinkers have decreased over the time. That makes isn't that sort of consistent with um, um, with with what one might expect, given the fact that players have 
that, uh, that we have more batters who are working on launch angles and maybe yeah, we're trying to Yeah, if guys are with... swinging up at pitches, you generally want to throw up in the zone to exploit those, not down in the zone. Mm-hmm. So if we have more hitters swinging for the fences by trying to get some loft, then throwing sinkers at the bottom of the zone is a good way to give up home runs. Okay. All right. Uh, wager number four. Why don't you take this one, Dave Cameron? Uh, yeah, so it was about Adam Eaton and his uh, controversial defensive metrics. Uh, which have been amazing in a corner outfield and not good at all in center field, and then the Nationals traded for him to move it back to center field. Uh, so we brought, or I brought up the question of Adam Eaton's center field UZR with the Nationals. I set the over-under at plus eight. You took the under, in which you were wise, because Adam Eaton <laughs> blew out his knee and did not play, and therefore he recorded a UZR in center field of zero. Zero or, or yeah, or close, close to, to it. Zero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you win by through. default. What, can you please provide a status update on Adam Eden? Uh, I to mean, the best he, of your ability. I, I didn't really. <laughs> I, didn't I didn't call his doctor this morning, so I don't know mm-hmm. exactly how he's doing. But there was some talk that he was going to try and make it back for the postseason. Like the Nationals said, they wouldn't let that happen, but he was going to try because Kyle Schwarber did it the year before. Um, so back in October, he thought like there was at least some chance that he might be able to get back on the field. So I would suggest that in the end of November, he's probably even closer to getting back on the field, and he should be 100% ready to go by spring training next year. Was it a pretty similar injury to Kyle Schwarber's? Yeah, it blew out his ACL. So. Okay, all right. Yeah. And But he had just, I think the problem right was, because it looks like he recorded about 100 plate appearances, so yeah, uh, it just occurred later in the season. I mean, like, yeah, it was end of April or something, right? Okay, all right. Uh, he was uh, pretty good offensively uh, before he blew out his knee, but I think his defensive metrics in that first month, for whatever you want to take a month's worth of UZR, weren't great. What does uh what is the Nationals window right now? Uh it's probably 2018 and then it depends on what they do with Bryce Harper. So um most likely the scenarios are going to keep him this year and then let him leave as a free agent um in which they'll get no compensation for him. That's obviously a big blow when you lose Bryce Harper. Uh if they're bad in the first half and they trade him and they can get some real value for him, then 2019 could be better. Uh obviously 2018 would be worse in that in that scenario. But I would think you're probably looking at, like, 2018 and then a little bit of a step back. I mean, they're still going to have, you know, Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer and, you know, if Eaton bounces back, Anthony Rendon. They, they still have good players. They're not going to have to go into a total rebuild. Oh, and Trey Turner. Part. Trey Turner, yeah, right. They've got good players. But losing Bryce Harper will hurt them. And uh, and this is probably their last really good shot at winning. They were they, they dominated that uh, that division this year, didn't they? They did, in part because yeah. the rest of the teams were awful. Right. But, and a couple of teams are likely to be awful, certainly in 2018, right? I mean, the, yeah. uh, Atlanta has, they're hamstrung in all manner of ways, both by talent and the ability to acquire talent, as we discussed last time we spoke. Uh, the Phillies probably not going to attempt a full, to fully compete in 2018, right? Right. And the Mets, uh, I mean, I assume that the rotation is still somewhat in disarray. Although well, The Mets are the, probably the only team you can look at as even like a potential contender to the Nationals' mm-hmm. crown. The Marlins are intentionally getting worse. I mean, they're going to trade most of their good players this winter and cut their payroll down. So the Marlins, the Phillies, and the Braves are going to be below 500 and maybe significantly below 500 next year. The Mets, if DeGrom and Syndergaard and Mats and you know Wheeler and all those guys stayed healthy... Potentially, you can see them like making a charge if they uh, got some really good years from some of their young players. Amid Rosario steps up, you know those kind of things. Uh, but more likely than not, the Mets will just be mediocre, and the Nationals will win that division by ten games again. 
Okay, let's talk, let's talk about uh, mediocre teams, <clears throat> or at least teams that uh, you suspected might be mediocre. W- wager number five proposed by me, Cameron, concerned Milwaukee's base runs wins. Of course, base runs is a metric which um, uh, which looks simply at uh, various events and strips out sequencing, right? So it kind of gives you a, a sort of platonic view of a team's abil- of a team's uh, performance. Yeah. So it's on, right? And uh, I sensed, Cameron, that you were not particularly optimistic about this Milwaukee Brewers team. So I set the over-under at a rather low figure, lower even than I anticipated, and that was 73. I said because uh, uh, I said I think uh, I think I could go and I thought maybe I could go even lower than Cameron would still choose the under, but I, I set it at 73, and you did choose the under. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the uh, the Brewers had an expectedly good season. Unexpectedly or unexpectedly? An unexpectedly yeah, good season. They recorded uh, they recorded uh, 84 base runs, which is 11 above yeah. the estimate. They were good on a um, – no, they, they won, what, 86 games total. So it wasn't uh, – which but that does not seem to be entirely a fluke. They were actually good at, uh, you could argue, at a fundamental level. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think their 2018 current base runs projected record is? I don't know if you've looked at this, but like I haven't looked at it. So base, right now it's based solely on the Steamer projections. We don't have zips. I guess it's below 500. Is that accurate? Uh, it is accurate. How far below 500? Uh, I'll say five games below. So 70, 76 wins. Okay. And does that feel wrong to you, or does that feel about right to you? <clears throat> it doesn't feel wrong for me based on the based on what. The sort of things that projections might measure. I mean, they benefited, I think, from some players doing things on the field that maybe were un- not entirely precedented. Like Travis Shaw? Travis Shaw, yeah. And I feel like, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Keon Broxton had a strong season, right? Not um, really, actually. Uh, a middling middle infielder had a good season. <laughs> there were a lot of those that happened yeah. last year. Yes. Yeah. Um, that was that was a good it was a good bet. Um, I don't know. Manny Pena was worth two wins. Yeah. That doesn't seem like something that Steamer would would, would uh, think would happen again. No. Uh, Eric uh, Sogard. Eric Sogard uh, was pretty good in 300 plate appearances. None of these right. things seem to likely to repeat themselves. Yeah. I mean, Chase Anderson uh, was uh, quite good. What two seven four ERA? That's that's not going to happen again. Right. So uh, what? So what is their so base runs uh, based on the steamer projections? Uh, currently, the things the Brewers in twenty eighteen projected was seventy three and eighty nine. Mm-hmm. That is the same projection as the Reds. It is one wor- one win worse than the Tigers. It is uh, one win better than the Phillies. Steamer so that's that same seventy three figure. Are you going to choose the over or the under? Dave? I would take the over. You take the over. Yeah. I mean, I, so I still don't think the Brewers are a great team. I think they they do have some legitimate problems. Jimmy Nelson's health is a, now a significant question mark for next year. Um, so I don't, I don't look at the Brewers as like one of the elite teams in the National League. 73 wins in 2018, given what they did last year, seems a little pessimistic. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fine. Uh, <clears throat> hey, would you like to take wager number six? Uh, sure. It was also yeah. concerning the Brewers. Was, yeah, I think it was in response to my question, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Brinson, who's a center field prospect for the Brewers, uh, his plate appearance total, 
I said 200. Um, they did have Keon Broxton, uh, but there was some thought they might trade Ryan Braun if they weren't having a good year, and that would open up playing time for Brinson. Domingo Santana has been injury-prone and is not very good defensively. Uh, Broxton himself was not entirely proven, so it looked like there might be some outfield at-bats uh, available. Um, so Brinson, I put as over-under on plate appearance total at 200, and you took the under? Yeah. Yep. And I don't actually know how many he had. It feels like he had less than 200. Because he wasn't very good when they called him up. Yeah. Yeah, he had less than 200. 55. Uh, and he put up a WRC plus of 30. There's a thing, uh, and I, I apologize, I don't know the actual tech, uh, the precise terminology for this. But uh, it, to me it seems the, the relationship between these these uh, two wagers, right, Lewis Britson's plate appearance total and the the Brewers' base runs wins. Yeah, they have they're rela- they're connected, right? Yeah, and it's the same sort of thing that uh, I know when when Nate Silver was always discussing polling in the 2016 elections. Right, he would sort of talk about this cascading effect where if the numbers are off in in one or you know in a, one state or another state, right, then it would have a real bearing on other states and ultimately over the whole election. That's why he right. I think he preached being conservative about some of the about some of the numbers. Right. What did, do you do you know what the, the the name of that is? Um I don't know if I'm careful. Yeah, but there's a term for like uh not it's not codependency, it's um I don't know, it's co something rather. Yes, I know what yeah. you're referring to. I don't know yeah. the name of it. But there's a similar relationship because if if the Brewers really had been a 73 win team, then they probably probably would have traded Ryan Braun, right? Uh, I would assume it, if they were a 73 win team, that might have been Ryan, might have been because Ryan Braun was untradeable because he was terrible. But Something that, would have been happening. Yeah, right. Like if, if the Brewers were bad, they would have played Lewis Brinson because whoever was in front of him would have been bad. So they would have right. said, "Let's just try this other guy because these guys stink." Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next uh, the next wager. Uh, was proposed by me. It uh, the metric in question was Dodgers pitchers to record a start, and I think that I had picked this up because in 2016, I think it was 2016, the Dodgers set perhaps an all-time record. Yeah, I believe that's uh, of uh, pitchers pitchers to record starts, and so I thought, well, um, in particular, no, wait, was this past year the first year of the 10-day DL? Uh, yes. Yeah, I thought perhaps with the introduction of the ten day yell, it must have been part of my reasoning that they would be uh, even pers- they would pursue that strategy even more uh, fully, right? Right. And uh, so I said, yeah, I think that uh, what did I set it at? Fifteen point five. That's very high. And you, Dave Cameron, you said you picked the under. And in this way, in this way, you were you were correct. Yeah, I think you said it at, like they would break the all time record again, which I thought seemed a little aggressive. So, yeah. so I just basically said the Dodgers won't set another all-time record for pitchers used as a starter. In the but season. this year set a bunch of this year set did set some all all-time records, right? Yeah, but like, so it's one thing to say like distribution of starts among the guys you're already starting, um, but with the 10 DL, it doesn't necessarily need to mean that you need to use more starters. You just mm-hmm. need to cycle them more. So, right. um, I think that there's a way you could have phrased this that would have gotten to your point about how the Dodgers were going to use the disabled list uh, without suggesting they were going to call up guys from A-ball. I could have said X number of starters with more than 
Why? Right, yeah, you could have said, you know, percentage of starts made by their normal five starters or something, or, mm-hmm. you know, some other. But it's still, was... there was still a, a pretty reliable starting five, I guess. Um, plus Brandon McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, well, they ended up with like seven guys who made most of the starts, right? With, mm-hmm. Between yeah. Hinge and Ryu and McCarthy and, um, Hill, and then they traded for you Darvish and Kershaw and Alex Wood. Like, they basically had a core group that was like, these were the guys they would, Make up an injury whenever someone needed a little, you know, a couple weeks off here and there. But those, they would just cycle in whoever the sixth or seventh guy was. They weren't going down to their 12th or 13th starter. Yeah. I thought for sure uh, Wilmer Font was going to play a larger role in their season. He was really good in AAA and unbelievably bad in the major leagues. Yeah. It was tough for him in the major leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Which I suppose is, I mean, that's the type of uh, pitcher that has existed before. Um, But. Um, but he, yes, he was he was very good as a starter uh, in Triple A. And he's actually not that old, you know. He's only he was only twenty seven this past year. He's uh, got time to turn it around. Yeah, there might be something out there for him. But uh, yes, I lost that one. I lost that one. Uh, <clears throat> nothing much. I don't do. I mean, it is true that the Dodgers used the ten day deal to their advantage. Is this a? Uh, I suppose Dodgers again. Total number of pitchers to record or start that. That may not change much, but maybe uh, what innings innings per start might change, right? As we go forward, and not even just innings per start, but like I would say, you probably a, a better metric to look at this would be like percentage of starts made by the top five starters. Okay, because then it's that- not just you know the number of guys making above five and equalizing it. It's saying like you know the. Kershaw made the most starts for the Dodgers last year at 27. Like, mm-hmm. I would bet there's not a lot of teams in baseball history who have had no starters make 30 starts in a season. Right. Like, so, well, yeah. So it's yeah. not just that the Dodgers are pulling, the, you know, exchanging the back end guys. They're bringing everybody's starts totals down. Right. Okay. Uh, number eight. Would you care to cover that? Uh, sure. This one uh, was based on the fact that the Cardinals just invent devil magic and. Uh, Every year they find some random guy no one's ever heard of, and he becomes really good. So uh, I asked you the total war of Cardinals prospects to receive less than a 40 future value grade on Eric Long and Higgins' uh, prospect list from the prior year. Uh, I set the over-under at 2.4, and because uh-huh. the Cardinals do this every year, you wisely chose the over. Oh, wait, so did you calculate it? I didn't, but I think Paul DeJong did this by himself. No, I think, Cameron, I'm going to tell you, I think you won this one. Really? Yeah. I think Paul DeJong was a 45. So we're saying that Eric Long and Hingham knows what he's doing? <laughs> that, that our argument here? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Let's see. Do I think Long and Hingham? Yes, I do. I do. I think he's a dependable. Okay, so I have just pulled up the 2017 prospect list. Paul DeJong, 45, you're right. Yeah. So, so the 40, 40 or lower guys. Yeah, can I tell you who I think they are? Yeah. And I thought I, I really thought that I had I had won this one, but I didn't realize that I had taken – I thought I had taken the under. No, you took the over. No, okay, yeah. That's what the yeah, post so says, think, anyway. Yeah, I, th- I, think that, um, I think that's true, and here's what I think. I think a, a player we didn't even imagine, and that's kind of in the spirit of this thing, yeah. Jose Martinez. Yeah. Uh, I think he recorded the top war among these sorts of players at right. 1.6. Yeah. In half I think Luke, right. I think Luke Voigt was second. Uh, was Greg Garcia still a prospect or no? I think I think he had exhausted his. Yeah. His, okay. He uh, wasn't a prospect. 
Yeah. Um, so I think I think Luke Voigt was second, who's sort of what like a like a corner type. Yeah, he's a first baseman. Right. Who who actually like he came up and he hit pretty well, but he's yeah, also he an average hitter. Yeah. yeah. But the you know the, yeah the, the demands are pretty high at that position. Yeah. Um. So we have him, and I'm going. I'm only going to the decimal point because that's kind of what this question calls for. Um. That was zero point three. Okay. And then beyond that, I only found two pitchers. Uh, to record something above replacement level. And that's, of course, all we really care about here. Uh, one of them was John Brebia. John Brebia, a right-hander, rookie, who was not someone who either anyone had thought of, I assume, before. Probably not. Before the season. Uh, Maybe but he Mrs. Re- Brebia. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. And then Ryan be. Sheriff, a hard-throwing left-hander. Uh, all told, together, they, they recorded 2.1 wins. So... So you missed by point three war because Jose Martinez only got three hundred plate appearances, even though he was awesome in those three hundred plate appearances. Right. Yeah. So you won that one. Okay. Does well, that feel good? I still think like you know, I'd never heard of Paul Dijon, <laughs> <laughs> so I think he still counts. Like in the spirit of the the actual like Cardinals just invent a player out of nowhere who becomes good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Dijon works. Well, so if if I had been more, we've talked about ways the, the question could be rephrased. <clears throat> I should have maybe looked at it as more like, a, or no, maybe a, a more compelling way to phrase it would be like essentially like war relative to expected war given the future value. Because yeah. Dijon, or, I think, I think the the other thing with the Cardinals is like usually these guys aren't young, right? So like war from. Fringe prospects, twenty five or older, or something, right? Because like you know, they found Alan Craig when he was twenty six, and Matt Carpenter when he was twenty seven, and like they didn't find him. They turned, they developed these guys. And what Jose Martinez is twenty eight. Like um, they have a history of just like pulling these random old non prospects to the big leagues and being like, oh, you're good now. Luke Voigt, I think, what twenty six. Like, um, so it's not that they have these like twenty one or twenty two year old guys taking huge steps forward. It's like these guys have been kicking around the minors forever. Who don't look like anything, and then you know all of a sudden it's like, oh, Ledmus Diaz, you're 25, have a five win season. Yeah, I think that I think that the most surprising thing about De Young too was the fact that he was he did it while playing shortstop. Yeah, um, which is you know I think he played. Where do you go? I think he went to Illinois State or something, Indiana State. Uh, it, he was he was good in the Missouri Valley Conference, and he played shortstop, I believe, in the Missouri Valley Conference, but. It's rare, first of all, that college players, even college shortstops, uh, play shortstop in the major leagues. You know, because if they possessed the requisite tools, if they were the sort of guys who you'd be like, oh, yeah, you can definitely play shortstop in the majors, like they usually don't make it to college. Yeah. Those guys tend to get drafted. And, and then even, you know, accounting for that, like he certainly does not have what you would call a classic shortstop build. Right. Um, and... You know, if you think of the shortstops who actually stick from college, they tend to be the sort of elite variety, right? Like, Dansby Swanson had a tough year, uh, but he, you know, but he was also the first overall pick. So right. you say, yeah, he probably is. I mean, Troy Tulowitzki is just kind of like a freak physically. Um, you don't, but but guys who go to Illinois State typically typically don't end up at shortstop in the majors, right? Unless they have no bat, you know. Uh, but Paul DeYoung. Finished second rookie year voting kind of deservedly. Yeah, I voted for him second place on my rookie year ballot. Who was at the top of your list? Cody Bellinger. Makes sense. Who was third? Uh, Luis Castillo. 
Yeah, Luis Castillo. Yeah, he yeah. had a good season. Yeah. And I, we're going to be re, uh, publishing the Zips projections this week, and the Reds are first. Luis Castillo was the only Reds pitcher projected by Zips to record a war above two. Yeah, not surprising. Not surprising. The rest of the pitching starts. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, I mean, some of it's promising. Like, I think Tyler Mal or Molly? Molly. Mal. Molly, Molly yeah. and Sal Romano were like second or third among starters. Yeah. Which is bad for the 2018 edition of the club. Right. But not it's terrible not... for the 2020 club if they all stay healthy. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Homer Bailey's zero. Zero wins. Yeah, that, that extension didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you won that one. The next one is, uh, again, this is kind of a trap. This, this is easy to figure. Um, I proposed it. And I said the ranking of Colorado of the Colorado and Miami rotations by innings per start, which thinking of thinking of the question now, I realize it could just be total innings by starters. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same thing <laughs> once it, once it's the end of the year. Um, and I think I I think again once again I was uh, overcome by Travis Sochik's enthusiasm because he was sure I think that these two clubs in particular. I forget why he'd identify. I mean, the Colorado made sense, I guess, right? Uh, why they would throw fewer innings to pitchers. Um, I forget why Miami, because maybe because Miami's starting or their relief, their their bullpen was so much better than than the starters. Especially yeah, they, after had, they had talked openly about a few of the guys they had signed. They might use as like fifth or sixth inning guys, multi inning guys. They they were making comments during spring training about how they might handle their staff differently. Right, and actually, the Marlins. Do you know the Marlins? Um, eclipsed only by the Reds. The Marlins, uh, Marlins started as counted for the fewest innings in the league, 830 innings. Yeah. Um, uh, and that put them just 10 innings ahead of the Reds, who had um, their their pitching staff was bad all around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so the Marlins, but the the Royals actually ended up like right in the middle of the league. Um, so why do they care about the Royals? No, sorry, the Rockies. Yeah. The Rockies ended up uh, right in the middle of the league. Right. And uh, I suppose what, it's because they were actually kind of good at, at points, right? Their yeah, there was, yeah, a few of their starters had good first halves, and John Gray was good in the second half. And, uh, yeah. Right. So didn't work out for Carson. But you you said that you thought that was um, – because I, I said that uh, the, the Colorado and Miami, they would both rank 24th or lower in terms mm-hmm. of total innings. And I said that would not be true. Yeah, and do you know why? Uh, what your logic was? That any time you can take a non-extreme position, you're more likely to win than if you take an extreme position. It seems reasonable. Uh, speaking of extreme positions, uh, that is uh, entirely relevant to uh, the 10th wager. Would you like to to, to uh, recount this one? Sure. So Eno Saris is uh, known for his uh, fascination with spin rate. And so I suggested that Eno would publish uh, six articles on fan graphs uh, or rotographs, uh, you know, that included the word spin or spin rate in the headline. Um, and, I, and I suggested that I thought it might actually be way more than six. I yeah. thought I was being pretty low with my over-under. You took the under anyway. Yeah, I, I will probably give it to you. I, I honestly, I don't have the, uh, I don't possess the initiative to actually search this out. Oh, so we don't actually know? No, I don't know, and I don't, I don't, honestly don't care. I mean, I think the spirit of the thing, you probably won. I mean, Eno wrote about spin rate a while last year. Yes, he did, but he might have. Well, this is an example. <clears throat> what is this thing called when 
the the entity being measured, the thing being measured is aware that it's being measured and therefore the results are different because of that? It's what people think Heisenberg's uncertainty principle is. Right. So, um, But it's not that. No. It's basically a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I mean, I think he knew. And he might have uh, – I think he became self-conscious of the right. fact. Yeah. He, he was, was like, oh, so, they're going to make fun of me for this. And then right. I think he so tried to like, I, not put the word spin in his things, but then he, he would like change the headline because it was about spin anyway. <clears throat> And you also have to recognize that uh, <laughs> that it wasn't entirely fair wager because uh, we, I serve. We, we pick the headlines. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you. So sometimes I come to you for headlines. Sometimes if you think the headline, do, more frequently not, I come to you and say that headline is terrible. Let's change it. Well, you. It's yeah, and it's not necessarily always that it's it's not terrible objectively. But the idea no, is, is they're terrible objectively. You well allow me to take to take the benefit of the doubt on this. To be the the generous position, Dave Cameron, which is sometimes which is you you have a pretty good sense. You here you want to give the you want to give the article the best chance. You want to give it the best chance of being read. Yeah, I like you traffic. Want, yeah, well, can I take the can I take the generous position again? Okay. Here's what I would say from the generous position: is you say you take it for granted that readers uh, want. You take it for granted that readers would want to read the article, but you want you. <laughs> so you're want trying to... to spare the author the indignity of having people read his work. No, no, no. You take it for granted that they would want to read the article, but you want to give readers a chance to know what it's about. Yeah. To know what the to to, to you want to give a to best summarize the essence of this article, right? And no, so you say, I don't well, think I'm trying to summarize the essence. I'm trying to hit <laughs> you over the head with something that makes you want to click on it. Yeah. Do you think, uh, from your <laughs> from your analysis, do you think that I'm particularly good at at knowing what will and will not appeal? No, no, <laughs> no hesitation. Yeah. There are times when I just like sit here and scratch my head of like, how did we let that like go through? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm just I'm just not good at it. Yeah, not good at it. Yeah, I know. I know what appealed to me, but I don't. I don't think I'm starting to get some idea though. Typically. Typically, it's about a player or team. You should put the player or team. You want to put the, the you want to put a, a person's name or a team's name in the subject, and then without being clickbaity, we're not trying to be you know Buzzfeed or something. Right. We want to give them some sense of like the thesis of the article. So like today, I published a piece about Josh Donaldson. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to write the headline for my Josh Donaldson trade piece, <laughs> it probably would have been something like uh, a conspiracy of thoughts regarding the Blue Jays third baseman. <laughs> where I said, let's talk about trading Josh Donaldson yeah. for the Cardinals. Now, you know who writes a, a number of posts that begin with the words that begins with the word "let's." Me is Je- Well, you and Jeff Sullivan. And Jeff does it too. Yeah. Jeff Sullivan will say like, "Let's watch that bat yeah, between right. a Rollis Chapman and Bryce Harper." Yeah. Which I think isn't effective. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good rhetorical device. Yeah, you may not be familiar with the work entirely of uh, T.S. Eliot, and it's fine if you're not. People can. Have I I read some T.S. Eliot my day. Okay, so so maybe you are familiar. I, yeah. I, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I'm saying my point would be people can live entirely happy lives and never having read T.S. Eliot's work. However, uh, one of his favorite f- famous poems, uh, "Love Song of G. Alfred Prufrock," begins, "Let us go, then you and I." Oh, so there's a sense that we are companions on a journey. Right. And I think that that's a good way to to begin. Yeah, I like the let's headline because it it suggests that the person is participating in the article. Yeah. It's like a choose your own adventure, Fangraph style. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that might scroll be a to page thirty four if you don't want to trade for a third baseman. <laughs> Here's another one that that uh, is kind of like a default when you're like, oh, what should we call this? Uh, is 
is the case for blank. Yeah, yeah, we've written probably. I mean, I think the nice thing about the case for articles is you're not hiding the fact that it's not necessarily an objective piece weighing both sides. You're trying yeah. to present the it's the Scott Boris binder for a certain side, right? Like here's the case for why Giancarlo Stanton isn't overpaid at three hundred million dollars. You're not trying to objectively say what he is worth. You're trying to say if I was trying to talk you into this, here's what I would tell you. Right. And there's, and now, you know, I think it's useful to sometimes present an affirmative argument rather than an objective one. I think also um, um, I would like to make one other comment about titling is that some some folks, some writers, are cautious about using a question as the title of their post. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I think that there's only one case when it's actually – when it, it is not helpful, and that is when you're asking – a question uh, to which the answer is obviously no, right? right? Because right. you're asking a question of a salacious nature, right? Yeah. Um, is like, Paul DeYoung better than Babe Ruth? Right, or or uh, will Paul DeYoung like, kill all of his teammates? Right. Something yeah. like that. Will he murder his teammates? You hope he doesn't, but the answer is probably no, right? Yeah. But for example, today Travis Hachik wrote a post called When Will the Philly Spend? Right. This is not a yes or no question. Right. And uh, Travis leads us uh, – he, he looks at the various reasons why they may or may not spend. He actually suggests that they should hedge their bets, spend a little this year, spend a little next year, or this uh, this offseason, next offseason. Do you agree with Travis Sotrick on that front? I think you want to spend enough this offseason to take advantage of what could be a buyer's market, um, especially considering what Doug Fister just signed for yesterday. Uh but not spend so much that next year when Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and Clayton Kershaw and Josh Donaldson are free agents that you've priced yourself out of their range. Or in a, in a couple of years, if Mike Trout is either available in trade or in free agency, uh, who, you know, as a Jersey kid who grew up as a Phillies fan uh, and roots for all the Philadelphia teams, um, that you are not capable of offering him, you know, all the money you have. So I think you want to be targeted in your spending this year while looking forward to spending significantly more on better players in the next few years. Right. Uh, tell me about, can you tell me about Doug Fister briefly? He's a right-handed pitcher. Yeah, no, no, I understand. Uh, and he had a, uh, a, a surprisingly strong year in 2017. He, yeah, he signed a minor league deal with the Angels, was bad, got released. Um, and that was after he like sat out for the first half of the year, first few months of the year. Then the Red Sox just picked him up because why not? He was free at that point. Um, and they sent him to the minor leagues, met him make a couple starts, called him up because they were short on arms, and they was surprisingly good. He got some velocity back, his curveball added a little bit more bite, he started throwing strikes and missing bats, and um, the second, I think the last couple months of the season, Doug Fister was a top 20 starter in Major League Baseball by a number of metrics, including like WOBA or XWOBA or XFIP. Uh, so he was like a legitimately good pitcher for two months. <laughs> the Red Sox stuck him in their playoff rotation. He did badly in that start against the Astros, but the Astros lineup was awesome. So I think, uh, you know, it's easy for people to look at Doug Fister and say, well, the stuff's not that great, and he got obliterated in the playoffs, and last year no one even wanted to sign this guy. So why would anyone want him? But the fact that the Rangers got Doug Fister for $4 million is um, ridiculous. <laughs> like, there's yeah, going to be significantly a... worse pitchers who get way more money on multi-year deals. I would have happily taken Doug Fister at the back end of my rotation for four million dollars. Okay, all right. Uh, you've uh, very, very close to having um, uh, fulfilled your obligation. I would like to announce that if we give you the uh, the point for 
you know Saris's post that, that ties us at five five, Dave. Campbell. I had quite the comeback there at the end. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, yeah. you did. Yeah, you were down five one in the last four. I actually, uh, when I was originally calculating it, I thought I had won the Cardinals bet, but upon further examination, I I did chose I did choose the uh, the over two point four. Yeah. Um, and um, and of course, of course, uh, right. So part of the uh, the question is the interpretation of Paul DeYoung's season. But he, he received a forty five from Longenhagen, so um, you know that was how that's how it worked out. Well, good job for us for being evenly mediocre. Yeah, I think that we really we really nailed that down. So now you have officially fulfilled your obligation. That's good to hear. Okay, very Instead good. Instead of going uh, five minutes, we went almost fifty five minutes. Oh no, it's too many. Hey, it's Dave Cameron, thank. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, Fangraphs. You're welcome. That has been Managing Editor of Fangraphs. Dave Cameron, I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.